This impactful conversation is brought to you by Say Things Better, a method of intentional communication developed by Lila Smith. I met Lila on LinkedIn and we immediately connected due to her open heart and wisdom. She helps entrepreneurs and thought leaders to make impactful choices for their communication. The Say Things Better messaging framework is the way she managed to build her own following of over 25,000 fans. Follow Say Things Better on LinkedIn and connect to Lila through her website at saythingsbetter.com. Welcome to Impact by Choice podcast. I'm your host, Andrada Anitze. The guest that you will be hearing from today is a beautiful woman from Glasgow. And I have learned her story from uh, the social media platform, LinkedIn. I had uh, the pleasure to talk to her previously for um, a written interview series, Mindset Heroes. And I was absolutely blown away by her story and by how she managed to get over it. So this is why I chose to invite her for the podcast as well. So please allow me to introduce to you Madeline Black. Welcome, Madeline. Thank you, Andrade. Lovely to be with you today. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, just before we started recording, you were telling me that every day is a good day. And I would like to precisely start uh, our conversation from here. How come that every day is a good day for you? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. One of the very first talks I did, a man came up to me at the end of the talk and he spoke to me and he had been in the British Army and had seen a lot. He was had fought on the front lines in many countries. And he said something to me, which I always remember. He said, every day may not be good, but there is good in every day. And I just, I just love that philosophy. And he said, you can always find the good. Everything is about where we put our attention. Yes, if I focus on just before I spoke to you, I'm trying to keep my dogs quiet. I haven't had my breakfast and I need to get my tea and I like to go to the toilet before I start my podcast. And I was a bit frazzled, but you know, here, I'm here now. It's fine. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I just realized, by the way, being, talking about being all over the place in one, uh, at the same time and something, I just realized that I didn't make any kind of introduction for you. So, um, (laughs) you know, just because of that probably is the best way that the listeners will hear from you. I will only say that Madeline is the author of a book called Unbroken. And, um, that's on my reading list for for a while now, and I feel kind That's of guilty, okay. but it will come around. <laughs> um, but I want you, everyone, the listeners, to listen to to learn from Madeline um, what the book is about and a bit of her background. So, Madeline, please let us know where do you come from, okay. um, who you are in a nutshell, and then sure. we can go towards the book. So I am a Londoner, but I live in Glasgow in Scotland and I am a psychotherapist, but I'm actually going to stop being a therapist. I've been a therapist about 12, 15 years. And before that, I was a support worker with Women's Aid and Rape Crisis also for about 14 years. But 
since I shared my story online about four or five years ago, I've been invited to speak. And this year, I just thought I'm going to focus on speaking. And last year, I said to myself, okay, what's my intention? I'd like to speak internationally. On January the 1st, I woke up with an invitation to South Africa. So it feels like I'm being pushed in this direction yes. as a speaker. So I have to follow my heart. So as you said, my book, my memoir, Unbroken, was published nearly two years ago, two years ago in April. And it is my story of being gang raped as a teenager. And it's essentially one of surviving, healing, forgiveness, transformation, and hope. Right, right. Um, I mean, the story, the topic of the story is definitely outside of the box for sure. Before we move on, uh, just I want to link a bit to the previous thing that you said that you have been invited to speak in South Africa. But yeah, unfortunately, rape is a massive issue in South Africa. So yeah. I'm pleased that I'm invited there too because I speak out to really help other people to find their voice too and to end the shame and the stigma and the silence surrounding sexual violence and also to show other people that haven't been raped that... It's not what happens to us that is important, but it's what we do with what happens to us that really matters. And if we choose to, we can get past anything that happens to us in life. That's true. And that's not applicable just for, for this kind of cases, right? Absolutely. It's applicable in all areas of life. Everything is our attitude. It's how we react, how, how we decide to be. Yes, I had to work the trauma out of my body for many, many years and my mind. It took me a long time. I don't want people to think I've got here overnight. This has been a process. But ultimately, I saw I had a choice. I could hold on to all my anger, hate and revenge, or I could find a way to let it go. And I did. Right, right. And you just mentioned one of my favorite words, uh, which is the choice. Yeah. So... I want to go back with you a bit and sure. tell the audience when and how did you manage to make that choice to, you know, leave aside the anger and how it happened that you managed to actually climb up from that, that situation. Yes, quite a long story, but that's okay. <laughs> so it was really when my eldest daughter, Anna, turned 13. So she became the same age that I was when I was gang raped. And I was also then studying psychotherapy and I was doing a lot, a lot of personal development courses. And I know now the memories are always gonna come back, but I started to have nightmares and flashbacks and pictures all from that night from the late 1970s when I was just 13. And at first I really thought I was going mad. I thought, well, if it had been so bad, then surely I would remember it. But now I understand it's because it was so bad. My mind shut it down and, and didn't want me to remember it in a way to protect me. So I was the worst kind of client. I went to my therapist and said, I want you to take these pictures away. I don't want to see them anymore. But I realized that actually I had to find a way to be okay with these images because, you know, it was really like a porn film running through my head and I was the star of that movie. And I realized that the more I denied it, the more I didn't want to believe that people could behave that way. I was actually keeping the memories alive. I was keeping them coming in. So I had to find a way to learn to accept this is what they did to me. I am okay. They didn't kill me. And I started to see I'm not my body. I'm not the things that were done to me. Yes, that event 
happened to me, but I'm not that event. And it has shaped my life. So it's a bit of a paradox going on. But very near to the end of those three years of therapy, my therapist suggested to me, you know, maybe these two young men, they weren't born rapists. And I was so angry with him. I couldn't believe what he was saying because as I said, I was just angry and I fantasized about somebody kidnapping the two of them, taking them to an empty flat, beating them up, tying them up, raping and torturing them for four or five hours, just like they had done to me. But, you know, he planted a seed in my head and it started to grow. And I found myself wanting to understand how could these two young men be so violent towards another human being? You know, what had they seen or heard or experienced that conditioned them that way that they could be so violent towards me? And I saw that in their dehumanizing me, they're really just dehumanizing themselves, that they're not connected to their goodness, their source, their aliveness, whatever you want to call it. And somehow, out of nowhere, I found myself feeling compassion in my heart towards them. And I became what I call an accidental forgiver because I never intended to forgive them. I was so angry and hateful and revengeful. But when I saw that actually forgiveness, I didn't need them standing right in front of me to be able to say, you know, what, what have you got to say? Are you sorry? I didn't need them there for me to say, I forgive you. It was a choice I made in my heart that I could accept, realize that all these things happened, it's not happening anymore, and I could let it go. And really, that's what I did. Wow. It's, it's interesting, and you know, that how, how everyone would probably jumps to conclusions and says, yeah, right, you just realized, you know, out of the blue and stuff like that. But there has been that three years process, right? When you are and actually getting for that decades, decades of personal growth and therapy and other stuff, decades of work. Okay. Yeah. So this was really like the final piece in my puzzle, you know, out of all the therapies that I had done, this was like the final piece of work and it completely surprised me as well. Yeah. It is surprising, but I'm, I'm really happy that you managed to get over it. Yeah. And, you know, just how probably it's, um, let's say, not necessarily an appropriate question or something, but or even maybe perceived as stupid question. But I'm curious from the perspective. No questions are stupid. It's fine. <laughs> from the perspective of a person who has hated for so many years, um, how did it feel in the first period? Because, okay, it wasn't easy, right? It didn't happen right away after you took the decision. It still was yeah. a process. But still, in the moment when you made that decision, what impact did that decision have on your mindset? Sure. Well, I, I saw that when I was full of hate and anger, I realized they had no idea. I didn't know that I was hating them or angry towards them. The only person that was harming was me, my husband and my kids. And I really struggled to have children. I, when I first met my husband, I said, I'm never going to become a mum because I thought giving birth was going to be like being raped again. So when years ago I reversed that decision and I came up with my plan, that I call my best revenge. I became a mother. You know, that was like, I'm claiming my life back. I refused to be identified by what had happened to me. And I really thought I was okay. We can convince ourselves of anything. 
when I look back now, I realize I still had fears. I still had phobias. I still had undiagnosed PTSD for many years. But using forgiveness as my key was like the, the door to freedom. You know, it was about forgiving myself for being a naive 13-year-old. It was an expression of self-love, realizing it was never my fault. I had nothing to do with it. I never invited it in. This is something that happened to me. And it's so liberating. It really set me free. And it is free. It doesn't cost any money as well. So liberating for many reasons. Right. Totally, totally transformed my pain into something else. Yeah, that's wow. Okay. Um, another question is related to your self-development process. So you said that it took decades, right? And you, you were just looking for yourself and um for a manner right to set yourself free mm -hmm. so can you tell us of one thing that was you know let's say a turning point into that self-development process for you there's been many many different things that i've tried i mean i've done sweat lodges i've taken san pedro which is like ayahuasca i've walked on fire i've done talking therapies i've done body therapies i've done transformational breathwork, so many different things. But for me, recently, the single most thing that has helped me has been to speak out, to find my voice. And that was recommended to me by a teacher of life. I've been going to his workshops for many years, a shaman called Imaho. And he suggested in 2010, it'd be a really good idea to write your story down. And I said, no way. There's no way I'd let you, anybody else read what happened to me. I was so ashamed. And I I carried that shame for years. I thought if people knew that I had been raped, that they would look at me how I looked at myself, mm -hmm. that I was worthless, dirty, contaminated. Just a few of the many feelings I thought about myself. The self-hatred was huge for years. And I stopped and started that process which he recommended and I couldn't do it. And about four years later, when I was at one of his workshops in Basel in Switzerland, my fingers went into automatic and I was on my iPad just typing and typing and typing for hours all through the night and 12 pages just appeared of all the details, everything that was done to me, all the names, all the places. And that was really my turning point. If he had never suggested to me, write your story down, there wouldn't be a book. I wouldn't be a speaker. I wouldn't be helping other people to shatter their silence. Right. And I know that you have an interview on, um, on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken, I've seen an interview with you that was last year. And I think that was the, the first time that we got in touch, right? Mm -hmm. um, that was also the first time that you put it out publicly after uh, releasing your book or before? I can't remember. No, I, I released it beforehand. So I, um, with the powers of social media again, I came in contact with Marina Cantacazuno, who is the founder of the Forgiveness Project. Mm. And it was about the time I had written these 12 pages and she asked to read them and said, would I consider being a story on her website? And because the idea of forgiveness, compassion, understanding was already flying around my mind and my heart, I had already investigated the Forgiveness Project. So I was totally blown away. She wanted my story there. So I said, of course. And she said, you know, you can be anonymous. You don't need to put your name or your photo. And I just thought, 
I've got nothing to be ashamed about. I am going to sure. put my, fa my, my name and my photograph. And it was from that moment, which was the 22nd of September 2014, when I shared my story, that things just went crazy. You know, so many doors opened in ways I, I never imagined. Friends got in contact because lots of friends didn't all know the details. And if they did know the details, they didn't know it was near fatal. And then other people got in contact and people overseas messaging me with their stories. And I really then understood why Marina calls us story healers and not storytellers. And the power that comes when we share our stories, not the me now, but what it can do for other people. And that's always inspired me to speak out what it can do for others. And then it was really a couple of years after I shared my story that I thought, after hearing another story from the Forgiveness Project speech, I thought I could write my book. I don't know where that came from. And again, the same process, I would see all my words at night. I would sit down at my Mac the next morning and literally the words vomited out of my body. <laughs> and in about six or eight weeks, I had written my book. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. And what I want to find out, I don't want to be intrusive or anything. However, um, the first time that you shared your story, until then you kept it bottled up just for you and for the close ones, maybe, and the therapist. But after you, you made this move to share your story with the others, um, what was the first feeling that came with it? I mean, were you at least slightly afraid of the stigma and stuff like that. What, what was exactly what happened in that moment after you released the video, so to say? Yeah, it's very interesting. I could see that it was still elements of shame for me. And I thought, oh no, what will people think? And I was worried about being judged. And the main feeling was, will they believe me? And I see yeah. that is about how we treat abuse and rape in our society, that the victim is always made out to be the one that's in the wrong and the, we never really address the abuser. So that is a cultural thing or a global issue. Also because of how it happened to me many years ago when I eventually found my voice at 16, they called the other girl involved and she said, no, it hadn't happened like I said it did. So I never felt believed completely. Um, so that's always stayed with me. But actually, you know what? The more I speak out, the shame has shattered completely. And now I don't care who knows. <laughs> Anyone can know, but really, Finding my voice, speaking my truth has helped me found my own personal power. And that's what I want to do for other people. This one beautiful endeavor that you have. Wow, seriously. And when there, there will be your first speaking event? I have spoken already many times, but Sorry, my bad. yeah, that's, that's okay. So I first spoke actually not that long after I shared my story with the Forgiveness Project. That's when I mentioned that all these doors open. So I was invited to do um, TV and radio interviews. There were newspaper, magazine articles, uh, invited to speak. So the very first one I did was I think the same year that my story came out. So it was just a few months afterwards in University of Kiel down in England. It was for a festival of light and it was a, the most beautiful ceremony and festival and other speakers. We had a fire alarm that went off in the middle of my talk, but that was fine. <laughs> and so, yeah, ever since I've spoken, I've been very lucky. All my events have just come from referrals. I've never 
sought to speak. So I think next month in March, I now have five events to speak at. And in April, I'll go to South Africa. I've also had inquiries about going to the Maldives in July. So, and I have engagements in the summer. So things have just seemed to be, life is taking me in that direction. So I think if I can do it, then I feel I should. It's almost like a duty. Right, right. Yeah, because I mean, I understand why all those doors open because it's a topic that probably no one wants to speak on. Yeah. And to to have someone seeing you how um you know how relaxed you speak about such a topic and at the same time with with you know such a great passion to empower the others on such sensitive topics because that's this is actually is it still considered as being a taboo topic? Well, I, I was very fortunate, you know, just after my book came out, these six little characters went global, hashtag me too. So maybe not so much on LinkedIn, but on the Twitter world where I'm involved as well. Uh, the support has been amazing. You know, that hashtag has helped so many people to find their voice that maybe would never have spoken out. So I saw that um, courage, bravery is contagious. And right. the more of us that speak out, it's like this army of of voices are collecting and we're getting louder our voices are being heard so i have been in contact with people i've never been in contact before all the hollywood movie stars they all support me other people that are big activists there's loads of people speaking out but for all those people speaking out there still be so many that still can't find their voice because of their fear their guilt and their shame and i want to make that okay for people to realize that they don't have anything to be ashamed about it. They're holding on to inappropriate shame. The shame doesn't belong to them. It always belongs to the perpetrators. Right, right. And where do you think that all this concept of being ashamed of what's happening to us comes from? It's interesting. I think for me, I, I was such a young age. I was only 13, but it's such an intimate crime. You know, it's not like having your car stolen or your house burgled. It's yeah. a crime on your body. And it doesn't just affect your body. It affects your mind and your psyche. And then out with the energy in society is victim blaming. It's rape culture. And I did that to myself. I thought, well, I had been drinking. I lied about where I was staying. I had brought it on myself. It was my fault. I did that for years. And I won't do that anymore. I had nothing to be guilty about it was never ever my fault these two men decided to rape me and i know now without a doubt a hundred percent of all rapes are caused by rapists right hmm. what's one of the greatest advice that you give to let's say to the young ladies advice regarding what someone that has been raped or I would say that it's, it's never too late to find your voice, whatever age you are, young or old. There's always support out there. And I don't expect everybody to write their story down into a book or to stand on a stage like me and speak publicly. But find someone to share your story with. Don't ever keep that inside because it grows inside us and it manifests and it leaks out in so many ways you know, it leaked out of me in so many ways. I had depression, I had anorexia, I used drugs and alcohol, I attempted suicide. I was in a children's psychiatric ward for two, three months. 
had fears, phobias, PTSD, the list goes on. Luckily, I couldn't self-harm because I was terrified of knives. So that's about the one thing I couldn't do. But it, it affects people in so many ways. There's no right or wrong way to respond. But find somebody to share your story with. And if you can't find somebody, tell yourself your story. Write your story down. It will help to move that energy in, inside of you to get it to start to move it, to shift that energy, that stuckness, that numbness has to be moved. We all know how hard it is to grow, right? Especially if we are in the first month or years of our journey, of our business startup, or we're coaching, or we're writing, and we want to spread the word about us. We all know that it is pretty difficult to get the word out there. But that's exactly where I come in. I want to host an ad about your business into my podcast, Impact by Choice. So look me up on LinkedIn, Andrada Anite. I would love to work with you further on, and I would love to help you boost the visibility of your brand. Let me tell you about a new show that I came across lately. It's called One Nation Radio and is that kind of show that simply unites the entire world through the voice of the host. So just go ahead, give it a listen and support John Gora, who is a new podcaster and will definitely appreciate it. Get ready for the free global app that works for you. WorkApp is set to revolutionize the way people connect in their personal and professional lives. Finally, there's a one-stop shop to help you post jobs or gain employment. Would you like your very own digital shop without any fees or charges? A global messaging service. And you can also post all types of events and courses, and you can buy, sell or rent any items you wish. WorkApp is a global platform that helps you find what you need, when you need it, without any costs or delays. So, sign up for this exciting new service today. WorkApp works for you. But now with, with your statement, we're considering that actually young ladies will listen. Mm-hmm. But we know that there is a situation where they're so ashamed that they they would deny any kind of advice mm-hmm. and they would just shut down just like you did mm-hmm. and would say, you know what, even though you've been there, you don't know what I'm going through. Because at some point, right, from some kind of angle, every experience is unique. Yeah, absolutely. So for... For those ladies, and when, I, when I'm saying young ladies, I'm, I'm going from, you know, the age that you've been until, let's say, 20 or even more. Mm-hmm. But considering the age of 13 and up until, let's say, 18, when, so to speak, you know, people start discerning better or, you know, um, to that point of insecurity and blame, a lot of blame, mm-hmm. um, how would you advise them to, you know, just accept what happened and to, you know, personal development is, is already hard work for, for adults, mm-hmm. but for children is 
most oftentimes is is overlooked right and children many times don't know what personal development is because they're not being taught about that so my question is a bit you know maybe you can see that is a bit uh, all over the place because i'm not sure how to put it best mm -hmm. but from a children from a child's perspective how would you approach a child who has been let's put it this way who has just been raped and just wants with with all his strength her strength to just lose herself in whatever and just move away from that episode you know you have to look at every individual male or female whoever's been violated individually right really important to follow their lead to see where they're at you can't force somebody to speak about something, you know, you can't drag somebody to therapy. And it's also really adults' responsibility. You know, when I was writing my book, I decided to get my notes from when I was in hospital to see if they had any idea why a 13-year-old, normal kind of 13-year-old, turned into one overnight who couldn't speak, couldn't eat, and hated herself. They had no idea. I was three months in a psychiatric ward, and they had no idea. They treated my anorexia, and they filled me with antidepressants. I'm hoping things are different. This was the late 1970s. You know, at school, we need to pay attention. If a young child is depressed, is acting out, we don't just put it down to bad behavior. Look behind the behavior, see what's going on. It's our responsibility to care for our young people and to recognize the signs that actually maybe there's more to them misbehaving in class. Maybe there's some reason behind it. But I was always go at a person's pace. You can never force anyone to find their words before they're ready, but to be cared for and supported, to be in a safe environment, will all help to make things easier when, once they know that they can always come to you, they could tell you anything, you won't be shocked. You know, we have to make it easy to speak out, which is why I really think we need to start at a young, young age, maybe nursery age, to talk about what is a healthy relationship? What is respect? How does it look like? What is consent? And to encourage people to find their voice, to speak out whatever the issue is. And we don't, we create a society where we shy away from talking about the difficult things. You know, you can't mention that. Even now, a friend of mine recently said, she came across some friends of mine and they don't think what I'm doing is right. She should be quiet about what she's saying. And that actually motivates me even more to speak out, to just to challenge their opinion. And I wonder why are they so ashamed that I'm speaking out about rape? What is it about them? It doesn't make me angry. It makes me interested to what a strange reaction. Why should that cause them embarrassment that I'm speaking out? So yeah, we don't as a society make it easy for people to find their voice. We, we focus on maybe the good things but life is made up of everything you know it's it's the good and the bad it's that it's it's everything and we have to be able to hold both of it that's true that's true and that's the main reason why people as you said why people just shut shut it out and just keep it bottled up right yeah so let's look from a different perspective right now for the parents sure. who have children that um may have gone through such a situation, but also for the parents who have, let's say, still um, healthy children mm -hmm. from this perspective, what would be your advice in regards to 
parents in order for them to create this communication channel. Okay. Well, I can only talk about my own experience of being a mom. I can't really talk about all parents, but for me, I was always very clear. I have three girls. I was always very clear from a young age that something bad had happened to me when I was younger. I never told them the details until they became old enough to understand. They just knew that two boys hurt me. And when they started to go out, I was very clear with them. I said, you know, if you've been drinking, if you've been doing drugs, if you're sad, upset in any way, just phone us. We will come and get you wherever you are. Don't worry about being judged. I always, I can see now, wanted to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the very first time Anna got drunk, uh, she was fine. She kept telling her friends to call my mum, call my mum, she'll come and get me. And eventually her friends allowed her to call. But she said, actually, when she was sober, it was her friends that stopped her from calling me. They said, oh, no, you can't call your mum. And she said, no, no, call my mum. My mum will be fine. She'll be cool about it. But they obviously thought you can't phone your own mum when you're drunk. And they didn't know our arrangement. Our, and she saw that they were terrified of calling a parent to say your daughter's really drunk. And that, that shouldn't be like that. And so afterwards, I then started to get some of them calling me when they found themselves in difficult situations. They couldn't call their parents, but they could call me. And actually, some of my friend's daughters have messaged me when they've discovered that at university, one of their roommates has been raped and the roommate didn't want to tell their mother, but they will come to me. So I think the more open we are, mm. it, it gives other people their voice as well. I've felt it so many times when I've shared my story, what it does for other people. Right. So openness actually needs to be embraced. Yeah. And we actually need to start understanding and listening. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And don't assume, you know, don't make judgments that they're misbehaving at school. So they're bad children. Uh, why? Why are they misbehaving? Look behind the labels that school just dishes out. You know, they've got this disorder that well, what's going on before you label them is are there any other stuff underlying? Right. Right. I know that there's countries uh, that have implemented this, you know, sexual education, so to say, in schools. Mm -hmm. Um, is, is that in place where you are mm -hmm. as well? And sex education. I don't know how much they learn about consent or respect or a healthy relationship, but they, they kind of go through it and they're all very embarrassed about it. But I have spoken a few times in schools and it's interesting. One of the very first schools I spoke in was in Ireland, an all girls Catholic school. And the day before, the teacher said to me, um, actually, we've been speaking. We don't want you to speak about the rape, but we'd like you to speak about the forgiveness part. And I said, but if I don't speak about the rape, how will they know what it was I had to forgive? Right. And I said, do you honestly think out of 120 girls that I was speaking to uh, who were 16, 17, that none of them yet have known sexual harassment, abuse, or rape? Do you really think that none of them have known those things just yet? He said, you're very naive if you really think they're all living a perfectly normal, healthy life with no trauma yet. So they agreed to let me share my story in its entirety. And the girls afterwards, the messages they gave me were just amazing, amazing. Some of them had had similar stories, which I imagined would be true. And some of them said, you know, you just showed us how important it is to communicate. And now we share things with each other that we'd never have shared before, but we don't want to keep anything in so that it grows or manifests. And they were great. Wonderful.
Wow. And that shows, yeah, that really shows the power of example and openness to children, right? Absolutely. Regardless if they're teenagers or even, even younger. Yeah. And I, I wonder, for me at 16, I still hadn't found my voice yet to even be able to say it. And I wonder what difference that would have made to me if somebody had come in speaking about rape when I was at school. Because I didn't even call it rape. I had denied it and pushed it out of my head and minimized it and all the things that we do. And I think that would have woken me up to actually what took place was not consensual. It was rape. Right. Right. And in regards to consent, what do you advise children? Well, I think we need to teach consent from a young, young age. And I don't mean consent just about sex, but all consent. You know, when I was little, you were forced to kiss your grandpa, hello, or your grandma, or take this one by the hand. You, you, I wasn't given a choice. Go yeah. and sit on your granddad's knee and give him a kiss, hello. Oh, it was fine for me. It was never an issue. But we have to look at do we give children choices? Do we allow them to say yes or no? Actually, it's my body. I don't want to do that. You know, what does it feel right? Can, are you allowed to judge for yourself if you want to go and play with this friend or that friend? Or, you know, we need to let all consent across everything. And then hopefully when they are in a sexual relationship later on in their life, for boys and girls and young men and young women, they will say, actually, no, I don't want to do this right now. This doesn't feel right. Right. So we're actually speaking about giving freedom to children to choose. Absolutely. Yeah. So important. Yeah, it is. From a parent's perspective with your children, how do you help them implement the, you know, the fact that they actually have a choice for every little small thing that they, yeah, on a daily basis? With regards to a sexual relationship, I just said, you decide when you want to have sex. Don't ever be pressured, coerced. Don't ever do it because you, you feel like you owe them because whatever. When you're ready, you make the decision. Hopefully it's somebody that you, that you love, but you know, you make the decision. It's your body. And even if he's naked and he has an erection and he changes, you change your mind. You can still say, no, I don't want to go ahead. So you always have to have enthusiastic consent, be really ready and say, yes, I want to go for this. Uh, because there's so many blurred lines, we don't want to have confusion. You have to be clear and yeah. be able to say what it is that you want to do. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's a process. And sometimes even now, you know, if the, my, one of my girls has to phone the dentist or the doctor, oh, mum, could you phone? I go, like, you can phone the dentist. You are this age. Oh, can you make the appointment? And I... You know, so you have to help them and guide them along the way. Mm -hmm. So um, you are giving them the, the choice for absolutely everything because we're not just covering the sexual aspect here. But mm -hmm. I was, you know, asking you about all the aspects of their lives. Mm -hmm. So they're completely, you know, I understand that they have free hand in choosing in every small, every little aspect. Of course, by you presenting them, probably, you know, all angles, right? Yeah. Yeah, obviously, I guess, when they were younger, within reason, you can't let them have total choice. There's nothing that's going to cause them danger or anything. But yeah, they're free to make their mind up. And I have three girls that are all completely different. Uh, one studied marketing, one is studying now architecture, and one wants to be an actress. So I said, you have to follow your heart. You have to do what you want to do. So they're all so different. But it's yeah, you have to... You have to do what you want to do. And, and being an actress, I hope she'll make it, but I can't imagine it would be an easy profession. But 
that's what she wants to do. So who am I to say, no, go and be a nurse or uh, whatever, where you have a teacher, where you have a proper profession and you'll make money, or you actually won't make money if you're a nurse or a teacher in our country. But, uh, you know, that's what she wants to do. And she's always known since she was about 10 or 12 that she's wanted to act. So, mm. yeah. Right. You said they're all different, but in the end, this will create a great bond between them. You know, all this freedom and all this difference, different views on life, hopefully, because in the end, when they're put together, right, they make a greater picture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have to, you know, I think we're all born blank sheets and then we come over in our personality. When we get to school, we do get conditioned. You know, you have to sit down, you have to listen and you have to do this. And, and it does, it takes, it can take the, the life or the spontaneity out of a young person. And then we get to work and we have to sit at a desk and we have to do what we say nine to five. And I want them to be alive. I want them to really live their life, not just go through the motions on kind of autopilot. I want them to enjoy life. Yeah, that's a very powerful concept. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that I want for my girls too. And that's why I resonate with you so much, you know, about freedom. And I like the the way you put it, that you want them to actually live their lives, you know, yeah. because um, someone told me at some point, there's a huge difference between existing and actually living. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Right. And... Uh, what do you do with all this speaking? It's going to create a huge impact on the world and hopefully people will, you know, become op more open-minded and um, more willing to speak about this kind of still taboo subject. Yeah. But if there would be one other topic that you could be speaking on, what would that be? Oh, that's a really good question. I guess it's all links. I guess it's about... Um speaking your truth, whatever your truth is, and then really just not worrying about judgment, not worrying what other people think. And if you can let all of that go, then the real essence of you can turn up. The part of you that's been squashed down by our own judgments, our silence, our attitudes to whatever we think our problems are. If we can just relax with all of that, the part that we squashed down, that we've numbed out, that we've frozen, can emerge back again. And that's what I see with me, you know, the eventually the real essence of me could never be touched. And that's what's coming back in now or more and more and more that that trauma took over so much space inside of me. That's all I thought about, consumed and dreamt about. And now it's gone. There's no residue of trauma left in my body at all. It's completely cleaned up, which I never thought I would get to as well. But the speaking has most definitely helped me to shatter any shame that I had left at all. Mm -hmm. If you could go back to your 13-year-old and mm -hmm. explain the true essence of me, right? Just as you expressed it. How would you explain that to a 13-year-old? That's a hard one. And it's interesting because I don't think I would ever now, if I could, go in a time machine, change what happened to me because... Uh, it's put me on such an incredible path. It's put me on such a journey and I would never wish it on anyone else. It was horrific and violent and all the rest of it, but I wouldn't undo it now because it kind of, it woke me up to what is important in life. You know, mm -hmm. like we said before, I don't want to be asleep anymore. I want to really live my life and enjoy my life. Um, 
but again I wouldn't wish <laughs> on anybody so the real essence I think is just the unconditioned self not to get conditioned by society by what happens to us by what we're told by other people's beliefs just be true to yourself be who you are whatever that means you know stick to your own beliefs your own morals your own judgments just just be you okay let's let's say that a 13 year old young girl doesn't actually have morals and values in place or at least she doesn't know them mm -hmm. at that very point so from that perspective how can you explain the essence of me yeah find out what it is that you're interested in find out what is you're attracted to who are your tribe what kind of people do you resonate with what stories what what lifestyle you know just it's an ex exploration i guess isn't it just mm -hmm. find out be curious don't ever turn off your curiosity oh yes curiosity that's one very very strong point right mm -hmm. very valid and that opens so many opportunities so many doors Absolutely. to to you know I guess be open, be curious, ask questions, have understanding, have compassion, have kindness, uh, all of that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And talking about curiosity, you know, that what drives, drove me to actually start my first uh, interview series, which was called Valuable Diversity. But with this, I want to go to you and ask you, how do you embrace diversity how do you see it and what was the impact that it had on you i guess diversity is a bit of a paradox because we're all so different and we're all so similar as well and um i guess for me you know one of my fears were men i was terrified of men i was so scared and i trained as a psychotherapist and all of a sudden i had to see male clients i had worked in women's aid i'd worked in rape crisis so i'd never really worked in a closed room, just me and a man. And one of the men that I met had also been raped when he was 13. And in his reactions, I saw myself. And I saw the way he responded, how he used to scrub his skin for years because he thought he was dirty and couldn't get the smell off, how he changed his underwear all the time, all these things that I did, how he hated himself, blamed himself, the way he responded in our sessions, how he cried and shook and everything that I had done. And I thought, oh my gosh, that man is just like me. He's just like a woman. And then I saw actually, we're all just humans. <laughs> we're all, we all think and feel the same way. And I think it's even harder for men to actually be able to be as vulnerable as he had to be in our sessions. But he came back every week knowing what it was he had to face. And I just thought, wow, he, he really taught me a lot that uh, I've got nothing to be scared of from a man sitting opposite me in a therapy session. He, he showed me that we're all the same underneath it all. Yeah. And I try not to think I treat anybody differently. I really think I am open and welcoming to all. Right. There's a powerful story, you know, about, about the man and the interaction because it, you know, it shows that even though you forgave mm -hmm. your assaulters, still over the years, some some um, some trace, so to say, of fear mm -hmm. was still there 
Right, in university Jack was man. there for years. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm really grateful that, you know, you chose to share your story with us too. And besides talking gigs, what's ahead of Madeline for this year? Well, actually, that is it. I'm just going to focus on speaking and I'm just going to see where it goes. I just feel like something is behind me and pushing me in this direction, life, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, I'm just interested to see where this journey takes me as well. That's going to be one interesting journey yeah. for sure. Yeah, I'm very open. I don't make any plans. I just see where it all goes and somehow I'm heading to speaking more. So that's what I'm going to focus on. So you're actually seizing the moment, right? You're, you're living in the now? Yeah. Awesome. And what's the furthest point that you will be uh, going to speak? Well, to? right now it'll be South Africa, which is quite far away from me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'll be there in April, which will be awesome. Mm -hmm. And you said that you're going to be there for a few days, right? I'll be there for five days. So I'm speaking at a speakers convention which will be interesting because i'll be speaking to speakers and then i'm speaking for another organization called the angel network which helps uh deprive women and children in south africa it's a charity event and i'm also doing a radio show when i'm there as well so it's a busy few days and i'm at a convention the speaking convention as well so i'll be learning lots hopefully as well yeah for sure you will you know just by interacting with other speakers yeah, be... meeting other speakers i'm looking forward to it yeah <laughs> Wonderful. And if there is anyone who would like to reach out to you, what can they reach out to you for? I am on all social media platforms. If you search for my name or my website, madeleineblack.co.uk, LinkedIn, Twitter, I have a Facebook page. Just search me and you'll find me. And you can also look up my book, Unbroken, which you'll get on Amazon or wherever, a bookstore. Mm -hmm. And what can they approach you for? Whatever. I, you know, I always do try to respond to anyone who contacts me. I might not be able to reply instantly, but I will always get back to people eventually. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in terms of, you know, let's say collaborations, what are you open to? Well, message me and we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to speak with other people or to work with other people. If we can bring a stronger, more powerful message by more of us sharing our stories, great. That's wonderful. And this is how stigma disappears. Absolutely. The more of us that speak out, the better. Brilliant. That's true. Thank you so much for, for choosing to be with me today and with the listeners. It's been a great pleasure interacting with you on such sensitive topic. And, you know, to see you once again, as I said, so relaxed about talking about it and about forgiveness and about all the process that, that you've been through with all this life of adventure, if I can call it like that. Yeah, it has been. <laughs> For sure. So I would like, if possible, you to leave um, the listeners with something to ponder upon. What would that be? I would, like I reiterated before, it's never too late to find your voice. Strong. <laughs> Thank you. I You're wish welcome. you a wonderful day ahead. Um, all the events to be a success. And we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for reaching the end of this episode. I wish you an amazing day ahead. 
And please, don't forget, smile at life and life will smile right back at you.